Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, here with you guys as always. And today, it is time to dive into the first edition of All Access following the Tar Heel football program. That came out yesterday after the conclusion of ACC Media Days, uh, literally right after the first edition dropped at 4 o'clock. They replayed it at 7 o'clock. And if you have not caught it, go ahead, head over to uh, ESPN and check it out. We're going to give you some of our takeaways from it. I, I mean, we won't spoil the entire episode for you. Um, but uh, it, it was, I, I thought, a tremendous look inside the Tar Heel football program, starting with the final week. Really, it was the final couple of days of spring practice leading up to the spring game. And then sort of what some of the guys were doing uh, during the summer uh, and the continued preparation that the coaching staff is doing, mainly the strength and conditioning staff is doing, to try to get these guys ready for this crucial upcoming season. So we'll talk to you about that. We're going to give you a preview of the wide receivers and the tight end. So on the website side of things, we've already dropped both of those additions. Um, And you may be saying, well, on the website side of things, you guys have it separate. Well, we thought, you know, for the podcast, why not just combine the two? So that'll be coming up for you guys. We'll break down both of those rooms, two very, very strong rooms for the Tar Heels, including that tight end room, which may be one of the best in the entire country coming into this year with the three guys that they have there. And then we will talk about a guy that could be joining the wide receiver room here starting next year, Alex Taylor, the four-star wide receiver, From the state of North Carolina in the 2024 class, he is committing tomorrow. I give you 
an update on where things stand with him as we head into his commitment as the Tar Heels try to get another big commitment in state. This one will be big. This would give them their second top 10 commit of the class. So uh, I'm going to break that down a little bit for you. So uh, make sure you stick around for all of that here on this edition of the podcast. And you know, if we're talking about the all-access show, if we're talking about this team on the field for this upcoming season, you know who's got to be on this edition of the podcast. Josh Marlowe's getting yet another call for this edition of the podcast. Uh, buddy, you know, we uh, we were pretty excited about the all-access show, I think. I, we, we were a little confused. Now, I guess this is for us because we were out at ACC Media Days. I guess maybe if you were at home, it might have been a little bit different where you get to see Mac and Drake end the day on the ACC Network, on the ACC Huddle Show, and then it flows straight into the first edition of All Access. So maybe for you know some of the fans at home, it was it it was worked out perfect. But you know we didn't really understand why it came out at four yesterday. But it then comes on again at seven. We got a chance to catch it both on demand and. Uh, what, what did you, you know, initial thoughts, what, what, what did you think about what we saw um, from the all-access show? Well, you know, whenever the show came in, I got really excited because you, you the, in, the, in the intro to the show, you hear audio from Jones Angel and Adam Lucas on the Carolina Insider podcast. Yeah. And I was like... Oh, I thought the same thing. Maybe, maybe my takes are going to make it on here because I... I emailed the league office some of the best takes I've had about this team in hopes that some of you know the, the podcast could get some exposure um, on the Carolina All Access TV show. Oh, no wonder. No wonder you haven't received any messages back from them. That so, you know, that was kind of disappointing in that realm because I've really put a lot into this and I was wanting to get recognized. So this is why people at ACC Media Days were giving us ugly looks. Well, I, mean, I get it. I get it. You know, look, everyone way to thought, go, man. Everyone thought the players were the stars, but you know, as we saw firsthand with good buddy Josh Graham, I'm the star, and I took a I took a lot away from. I think I got to be honest. I think he hates your guts. Probably does. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the the the, the biggest thing that I really took away, um, was how the phrase nine is not good enough really permeated throughout. It felt like every time you heard Mac Brown talk, Gene Chizik talk, a player talk, them referencing nine is not good enough, which was the nine wins from a year ago. Um, and that's a good thing because, you know, in 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 realistic terms and expectations, nine wins for Carolina is usually a really, really good year. And last year wasn't a bad year. But you were 9-1. and one. You had a chance to accomplish a whole lot more, and you didn't. And instead of resting on their laurels and, and saying, well, you know, we did some really good things last year. No, this is, this is, a, this is a head coach that's motivated. This is, a, this is a coaching staff that's motivated. And more importantly, this is a the, – the players are motivated. And if that all culminates and comes to fruition, I think Carolina can be in for a good year because – you got a generational talent at quarterback, and you've got talent up and down the roster where if this thing truly comes together in ways that didn't come together last year, even though you were 9-1, they could be in store for a special season. Well, and, and that's the thing. You said that they could be in store for a good season. 
But that's not what Mac Brown wants. That's not what the players want. You talked about they mentioned nine wins is not good enough. And what Mac Brown said, and I think the best way to sort of describe where the mindset of a lot of Tar Heels fans are at, including ourselves, from you know what we've told you here on the podcast, is that this team was good last year. They want to be great. And last year, it felt like at a point, they were setting themselves up for a great season. When you're 9-1, and one, you look at the schedule that they had down the stretch of the year, especially those final two regular season games, those were more than winnable for Carolina. And I think, you know, there was a point where we were all saying to ourselves, "Is it could this happen? Could, could Carolina actually win 11 games again in the regular season? They did it under Larry Fedora. You know, no offense to, to Larry. He did, you know, some good things, even though a lot of people will, will will try to sort of pass those off because of how things finished. But he did some good things while he was there. But Mac Brown, Mac Brown's the best coach this program has ever had. And to me, it's 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 not really debatable, especially with what he's doing in his second time around here. Um, but the thing is, is that He expects to be great. And I think that's part of why the expectations in our mind are where they are at. It's why we're frustrated at times with where this program is. Because, again, yeah, coming into last year, you told us, hey, this team won nine games. We probably would have said, man, that's a great season, not a good season. Yep. But the way that it finished, you have it as a good season. So I'm with you. That's the first thing that I took away from the episode. And and part of it was because, yes, it was – what they talked about pretty much right out of the gate. But it also, it was a theme throughout the entire episode. Even at the end of the episode, they reference it again. Good wanting to be great. Charlton Warren is on there talking about how he feels like guys are taking things to another level this offseason. And we've, you know, not on the show, but Mac Brown has talked about how, look, Last year, there was a chip on this team's shoulder, and that chip is not gone this year. It's a different style of chip. It went from a from, from a Lays to a Pringle. It's, it's different because it's, look, you won last year, but you couldn't finish. At the end of the year, when you needed to win those close games, you won close games early in the year, but when you needed to win those close games, you didn't. And I think this team, some people may wonder, well, how much of a hunger really is there? Because there's so many comparisons that people want to make to the 2021 team with with this team. The thing was, you got to remember where that 2021 team was at, where pretty much everybody in the country thought they were going to be really, really good or great. Like there, there were there were people that thought that team would make the college football playoff, including Brett Ciencia, who was on this podcast and said that at one point that Carolina was going to make the college football playoff. So the mindset around this team, I think, is is different. Another thing that really stood out to me was the leadership and really just the overall personality of Cedric Gray. And I know, you know, Drake May's the guy that everybody's going to talk about. And I think, you know, we kind of saw what we expect from 
Drake May. And I'm not saying you you don't expect to see what you see from Cedric Gray. But I talked to him yesterday at ACC Media Days. You see, you know, him in the interview, the little one-on-one portions that he's doing with the people from the ACC network when he's, you know, sort of talking to them one-on-one and breaking down what's happening. And he seems like such a reserved guy in those moments. He seems like a guy that's just kind of laid back and and cool, go-with-the-flow type of guy. Very confident, very well-spoken, but a guy that's, you know, kind of even-keeled. And then you watch the documentary, and I'll be damned if he is not the most one of the most energetic dudes on the entire field. The way he was coaching some of those linebackers, I mean, at one point he's literally telling Amari Campbell, just he's he's telling him, be basically be more consistent. Come up in the hole and just just knock someone around every single time that you have a chance to, instead of only doing it certain times. I, I thought to me that that was one of the things that just jumped off the page to me. I, I I was I loved what I saw from Cedric Gray. I mean, it's just, you know. It's a clear example that he, this defense has a leader. And that's something that they haven't really had really since 2015 when you had like Jeff Schottmer and some of those dudes, you know, a bunch of really cast offs really coming together to, to give a formidable defense. This, this defense has a voice now. And it's, it's with one of the best linebackers in the ACC. And, um, so you, you got to take what he says seriously because he's pretty damn good at, at playing the game and he knows what he's talking about. And um, I, I, I think you look at the way he was going through spring practice and stuff like that, he looks a lot more comfortable in year two of Gene, uh, of, of Gene Chizik's scheme. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's the biggest reason, I think, for optimism about this defense. Because him and Power Eccles might be the best linebacking duo in the conference. And you could argue they're, they're one of the better ones in the country. Man. So, but for for that to really come and be on display, you need to have better defensive line play for these guys to find the ball and make plays on it. So, um, really like seeing his personality come out. You know, talk talking some trash with Drake made during the spring game. You like seeing that competitive fire come out of both of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He went right after Drake at one point, man. So you, you know, that's and look, that's something that I think Mac Brown's been wanting to create since he came back was competitiveness up and down the roster, and I think it's been there at times, but not to the level that you know you want healthy competition. It's okay for your players to to jaw back and forth with one another because you, you want to see that fire, that energy, and that passion come out. And you saw that on display through some of the the, the, the practice during or some of the drills during the spring game. So I'm really excited to kind of just see how he evolves. You know, these, the, these, these types of things, these specials, they usually make fan favorites uh, for, for uh, out of players. Said Gray, we, we love who he is on the field. We might love him even more who he is off the field the more we get to know about him. Oh, yeah. I mean, a tr- tremendous kid. I loved talking to him yesterday. He was awesome. Um, and, and, you know, going back to the moment that you talked about after Drake throws the interception and, and said lets him hear about it, I, I thought, you know, well, one thing that I, I noticed about Drake May, not that I'm saying we haven't seen before, but it really just reiterates 
that dude is not going to get phased by anything. People are yelling at him on the field. He, he doesn't care. He's just, okay. You could see I made a mistake. He was visibly upset with himself, and he responded. I mean, I'll be damned if that if he didn't have a tremendous spring game performance after that. I mean, he, he was outstanding. So I, I, I thought, you know, that was interesting. And then another one to me that really stood out amongst the players that, that – is is a favorite. I I think you know just a, a well rounded guy, someone that I would absolutely love to have on this podcast. I I think Elijah Green man is just one of the most cerebral, well spoken dudes. I mean, it was really cool. You got to see him, Cayman Rucker and Chris Holiday. Um, you know they were they were traveling around the world at one point. They went to Australia, to New Zealand. Uh, there was another point where uh, you know Elijah and and Cayman uh, did travel up to Washington D.C. to uh, participate in the ACC Unite um, little conference that they had, uh, and they you know of course they, they there's uh, the the powerful moment where they're they're visiting um, you know the the uh, African American History Museum up there. I I thought you know. And Cayman Rucker, too, as well. But I think especially Elijah Green. I've seen him talking a lot more um, this this offseason. He's been on a lot of different podcasts and everything like that. He had, you know, he, he was one of the guys that headed up um, the recent event. I forget the name of it. It's slipping my mind right now. But they did some sort of workout competition that was, you know, going to raise awareness for – uh, the cancer, the type of cancer that Tylee Kraft has. Like, this dude is a next level. Like, he's he's developing into a really, really good player. And we've talked about it. I think he's going to have a huge impact this year. He he might be, I mean, he, he might be one of the, the, the most incredible dudes that are just on the team in terms of the morality of the man and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, I talked about how Seth Gray is going to become a fan favorite on the defensive side of the ball. Elijah Green might become a fan favorite for the offense just because of the way that, you know, he very much aware of his surroundings, very, very well spoken. Um, as you said, very cerebral. So um, I, I thought it was great insight seeing all the stuff with their travels and everything. So, um, he and he, he's, he's due for a big-time season. So if we get to watch him – play well on the field and get to know more about him off the field and he becomes the type of running back we think he's capable of with what he did the last six games of the year last year, it, it'll be easy for him to etch his name into the hearts of Tar Heel fans uh, this fall. Well, if you guys haven't caught it yet, make sure you head over and check it out. I know they are rerunning it. Uh, they they reran it again today or earlier this afternoon. They got to be rerunning it here. We're not getting out of here, are we? Over the next few. No, we're we're, we're Going to the wide receiver. Oh no, I, I still got another takeaway. What? Okay, well, what do you got? Um, our quarterback. Speak up. Our 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 quarterback stir stuff with a knife. You know what? I mean, look, Drake. I'm actually glad you brought this up. This slipped my mind. I was going to bring this up. First of all, I know you. I know you knife and carve up defenses on the field. We don't need you knifing off the field. I took away. I I got to tell you, and this is a great call by you because I'm an idiot and I forgot. I, I was so focused on the stuff on the field and, you know, Elijah Green and the great guy that he is off the field. I forgot about this moment for a second. How? Did you not see that waffle? Well, the, I've the thought waffle, about that waffle all day. Well, first of all, the waffle's tremendous. Um, 
we went there actually the last time that I was in Chapel Hill for my sister's graduation. I've she never been there. Wanted to go there, the Carolina Coffee Shop, which is outstanding. Um, she got the waffle. I I tried a piece of it. I what did I get? I got I got some I forget some sort of like regular lunch meal because we were going out and eating later in the evening for to, to celebrate her graduation. And so I I tried it. I thought it was out. I, I thought it was tremendous. I really did. Um, I took a few things away from that. One, Drake. What in the hell are you doing stirring with a knife? That was that was very interesting. Now he tried to he tried to make his case to Corey Gaynor, and I got to be honest, I think Corey just Corey just gave up on that one, right? He said, I th- you know Drake said, uh, I think it you could make an argument it stirs it better, and Corey was like, okay, sure, uh, no, I, I maybe, but I I I I don't know about that one, Drake. Um. The second takeaway from from Drake is, am I I I think I saw that right. I could not hear what he ordered. Did Drake get a? Uh, was that a chocolate milk that Drake had? Yeah. This is why this guy's my quarterback. I'm a chocolate milk guy. Yep. I know. I know. Maybe you're saying, and people there there will be people that will get mad at this and say, "Oh my god." How old are you? You still drink chocolate milk? Dude, yeah. I love chocolate milk. That's what I eat whenever I eat Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, anytime, anytime I go out to breakfast. If I eat breakfast on the weekends at my house, in the, mor- in, in the mornings when I'm at work, I can. I have a terrible habit of drinking a Coke in the, in, in the mornings because I need the caffeine to wake up. But on the weekends, oh no. Oh no, I can get down with some chocolate milk, man. I've been drinking that since I was a kid. I love it. And then, uh, yeah, the waffle was outstanding. Although, I got to tell you, I got to call into question Corey Gaynor on this one just a little bit. He said that he wanted it all the way. Drake said, no pecans, no raisins. I could probably do the pecans and be okay. To me, I'm not really... And maybe this 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 could really get me eviscerated here. I'm not a big fruit no. on breakfast guy. I'm I'm not into it. The best thing to go in a waffle is a chocolate chip. Well, yes, but I don't know if that is really an option. But the way that they got these, they got it. He, Corey Gaynor got it all the way. And the second thing that Drake said to take off of there was raisins. Mm-hmm. Corey, you eat raisins on there, man. Come on, man. No. No. There is, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I I want to stay as far from, uh, as far away from raisins as humanly possible the rest of my life. Yep. Raisins don't interest me at all. And especially on top of a waffle? Oh, my God. Yeah. I just, ah, man. But I thought it was cool. I, 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 think the fact that those two and it's just those two they go and have I guess it's I I, I I guess it's breakfast but I don't know what time of day it is they go there and hang out each Wednesday I think that's real cool man and Drake talked about you know the bond that him and Corey have to have as a center and quarterback I mean we know that they're two of the most they're two of the biggest leaders on that offense I mean we heard that immediately last year when Corey Gaynor came in 
And, you know, the other thing that was cool with Gaynor, I, you saw him, he, he seemed to have a, a different mentality to this than he had. I remember when he met the first time with the media last year. And I said, wow, man, he's, he's you know, kind of short with his answers and everything like that. I think you're seeing now he's, he's more comfortable at Carolina. And it's showing. And I, th- I thought that was a really cool look at them. So do you, do you have anything else before you just? Nope. Okay. That was a good, that was, that was a good one to interject with. But look, guys, now we got to move on and we got to talk about the wide receivers and the tight ends this upcoming season for Carolina. Two of the most loaded groups in terms of depth and talent on this 2023 team. Start with the wide receivers because this is the group that I guess they have the most questions, but at the same time, I, I feel pretty confident about this group. I mean, you lose Josh Downs, you lose Antoine Green, and you're saying, how are you feeling confident? Well, you know, if you're a Tariel fan, you probably saw the spring game. You know why. You also know a pretty good amount about these transfers that are coming in. But it really starts with those two guys, Devontae Walker, the transfer out of Kent State, and Nate McCollum, the transfer out of Georgia Tech. Walker, last season, 58 receptions, 921 yards, 11 touchdowns for the Golden Flashes. Uh, he had a tremendous game against Georgia, which was their toughest opponent a year ago. Also played very well against Washington uh, and did catch three passes for 59 yards and a touchdown in the spring game. Showed the ability to beat uh, guys deep. And then Nate McCollum, the guy in the slot. Many may remember last year, we talked a lot about him before the game against Georgia Tech. 60 catches, 655 yards, six touchdowns last season for the Yellow Jackets. And that was a team that didn't throw, still didn't throw the ball great. They raff, you know, rifled through multiple quarterbacks, and he still found a way to get over 600 yards receiving and six touchdowns in that offense. In the spring game, two catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown. Yes, you may remember, if that was a regular season game, that touchdown would not have stood, uh, but still showed some impressive hands catching the football. Uh, and really, I, I think you know it starts it starts with those two. Uh, but there's a ton of depth that we have to talk about. But I know you, for one, you know, still a little maybe a little skeptical about Devontae Walker coming from a Group of Five program. Not really sure how you feel about Nate McCullough. I mean, it is an ACC program, and he put up some pretty good numbers in an offense that wasn't tailored to throwing the football. Uh, but this is a group I feel pretty confident about this duo right here. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know when we talked about these two guys in the spring, the thing I said was that if, if Carolina was going out and adding talent to that position room, that probably told you what you thought about what what the staff thought about that room entering in the off season was that they needed some more help there, trying to replace the production of Josh Downs uh, heading into this year and. You know, you can look at Walker's numbers, and they're 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 fantastic numbers, albeit in a Group of Five conference. But you can't take away what he did against Georgia. That touchdown catch, you know, his speed on the touchdown run was some insane number. Twenty three miles an hour. Yeah, was I mean, his like top like speed. like that's as fast as you and I run to the buffet at Golden Corral or something like that. So he's done it against a big time program while not playing for a big time program. Now he gets. You know, the best quarterback in the ACC, the second best quarterback in the country, 
So you're excited to see what his game can do. And then, and then with Nate McCollum, like you saw it, you know, in the spring game as well. Like, you know, even though you said that touchdown catch in a, in a regular season game, it probably doesn't count. And I say probably because hashtag ACC refs, you just never know what they're going to deem. Hey, we would gra- we would gladly take it if that stood. So, you know, I, I look at this room and, and there's names up and down like Kobe Pesor, J.J. Jones, Gavin Blackwell, names that you, you really, really like. And there's Andre Green. There's a lot of talent there. This might be, and, and maybe you disagree, this might be as deep this position's been since the Larry era. Where they've got mm. they've got they've got a lot of guys that I think can be interchangeable. You can you can do different things with these guys. And the thing we learned about Drake more so than than with with, with Sam when when Sam had Josh Downs, Drake's not afraid to you know to to spread the thing around and get multiple guys involved. He's got pass catching tight ends, which we're going to talk about as well in this edition. And I think that's what makes Carolina so much more versatile. As great as Sam was, Sam locked in to De'Ami Brown, Daz Newsom, and then it was Josh Downs. The thing about Drake is Drake will get everybody else involved, and I think I think if Carolina can run the ball, it'll make their their pass game their pass game that much more dangerous and mm-hmm. a good chance why this offense can still put up the type of numbers and the points they need to put up for them to compete week in week out. Yeah, I mean, the deepest it's been. Yeah, I mean could probably make that argument I mean I know Sam's sophomore season it was pretty deep yeah I mean I don't know there's there's definitely a conversation I think there um but yeah I mean you mentioned it not only is it the transfers who I both think you know showed in the spring game they have a chance to succeed they've been compared uh, to guys that have had success before by head coach Mac Brown but you got Kobe Pesor, who I don't think's being talked about enough even still. He's probably going to move and play on the outside, you would expect, with Nate McCollum in the slot. Last year, 29 catches, 324 yards, four touchdowns. Was he big for the team in the first part of the year, remember. Led the team in receiving in all three games that he started. So the App State game, Georgia State, where he had that amazing over-the-shoulder touchdown grab, and then in the bowl game, he was yeah. outstanding as well. So... When this guy starts, he makes a lot of plays. He's a guy that Drake likes to go to a lot. As you mentioned, he still spreads it around. But when you're a guy that is that good, you attract the football. And that's what you like to see from Kobe Pesor. Then you reach – see, I think it's those three, Walker, McCollum, and Pesor, who are kind of just a little bit ahead of everybody else. You reach those second tier of guys that can start, but – you like as more the rotational contributor types. J.J. Jones, last year, I mean, look, 24 catches, 434 yards, and two touchdowns. Had brought some explosion at times, but just mm. not enough consistency. He would have, you know, a couple of plays early in a game and then disappear for the rest of the game. Um, there will be certain games where he wouldn't do anything, and then he would respond with a really strong game. So more consistency is what you're looking for him to add. But if he can be that guy that can be the explosive guy down the field along with Devontae Walker who has been compared to Deami Brown if you could have another guy that can rotate in behind him and make big plays like that or sometimes put him opposite of Devontae Walker and have two guys that can be explosive down the field 
That would be amazing. He missed the spring with a hip injury, but he is going to be back, um, or hip surgery, excuse me, from an injury at the end of last year, but he is a full go. He's going to be ready to go. And a guy that took a step forward in the spring, according to Mac Brown, was Gavin Blackwell. Now, he was a guy, remember, early last year with everything that went on with the injury to Josh Downs, uh, Antoine Green still recovering from his preseason injury. He actually started a few games. And, you know, he, he showed some signs. He had 18 catches, 239 yards, and a touchdown, most of that coming early in the year. But for that to be your fifth guy, like, it feels like with him having taken a step forward this offseason, just about any other team, he probably starts on. So to have that type of depth, not to even mention, those are the five. Mac Brown said four guys stood out in the fall, Walker, McCollum, Pesor and Blackwell, and then you had J.J. Jones on the sidelines. He didn't even mention Andre Green Jr., who we saw looked great in mm. the limited reps that he had in the bowl game against Oregon. This, I, you're, You've got an argument here, especially, I will say this, on the outside, you have an argument for this probably being the deepest group that Carolina has had at receiver. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's... I think this is where we're going to learn a lot about Chip Lindsay, the offensive coordinator, right? Because as much as I, I enjoyed Phil and, and his his ability to put together a good offense, that guy that guy wanted to throw it more than he wanted to run it because of the plethora of weapons that he had at his disposal. Oh yeah, and Chip Lindsay inherits the same issue. And look, it's a great problem to have. Like you know, there are some schools around the country that play Power Fives. You know that that are power five schools that like Vanderbilt. You have no one to throw to. Like like you're you're throwing you're throwing to below average wide receivers. Like Carolina has NFL talent in their wide receiver room, so it makes it easy to want to throw. What especially with the guy like Drake, you know, in the shotgun or whatever. But we talked about this, you know, last week. The last time we talked when we were breaking down the, the positions. Like if Carolina can run the ball, I think that's going to be their best offense. So I'm interested to see if Carolina can run it better. And they're better at the line of scrimmage, and they and they and they control the line of scrimmage better. Does Chip Lindsey want to just hand the ball off that way he can manage, you know, time score and all that type of stuff, or is he going to be tempted because he has a defense that's still giving up 28, 31, 35 points consistently to keep pushing the ball down the field? Because we learned last year that sometimes 63 points is just enough to get you a win. Yeah, I mean. I don't, to me, I am not fearful that you're going to run into a situation where guys aren't going to get their yards. This is the modern era of football. Even in the most run-heavy offenses, you still throw the ball a lot. Like, look, nobody is saying this is going to turn into what the Tennessee Titans are in the NFL, where you're going to go under center and just start running the ball. Like, I don't see that happening. It's still going to be an, I'm not going to say air raid, but a passing-based offense you, you want it to be a little more run-heavy, but it, it's still going to – you're going to throw the football a pretty good amount. And you're right. Now, the, the challenging thing is, is, okay, are they going to throw it a lot because the defense is struggling? Well, to the same notion, we've talked about this, is your defense struggling because you're throwing the football too mm-hmm. much. So they're, they're going to have to find that balance – that's the one thing that I really do trust Chip Lindsey to do more than Phil Longo is to stick with the run more and try to find the balance in the offense. Look, if you're moving the football just that great through the air, 
on a day and the running game isn't there, I I would think Chip Lindsey is going to say, okay, we're we're going to start turning this into a little bit of an air raid game because we've got the weapons to be able to do that. But if not, then I I trust him to put the ball on the ground and run the football a little bit more. And look, we, you know, we talked about the guys that could be contributors. I think Andre Green Jr. is probably that sixth guy. There's a there's a group behind him that is the future, but also guys that could step in and contribute during this season if needed. The one guy I look at, we saw him in the spring game. He flashed a little bit. Mac Brown was talking about him during the spring. That's true freshman Christian Hamilton who was there in the spring. Caught three passes for 18 yards in the spring game from Connor Harrell. I think he's a guy that's got a lot of upside moving forward. Paul Billups, the second, also drew uh, you know some some praise from Mac Brown for how quickly he came in and learned in the spring, and that doesn't even include the guy that I think is probably the most talented of that that freshman wide receiver class that the Tar Heels just brought in here in 2023 in Chris Culliver, who I compared when he came out to Deami Brown and the effect that he had. So a really talented group there, not to mention you also have Doc Chapman, a redshirt freshman who is in the slot, who didn't really see the football a lot last year, but a dynamic slot receiver who can do a lot of things after the catch. So some really good depth here. The future looks bright there as well for the Tar Heels at receiver. Uh, also guy, uh, a guy that is currently under scholarship and will remain under scholarship, but more than likely we will not see him this year as Tylee Kraft, who is still undergoing tra- uh, cancer treatments, unfortunately. I was really hoping that he would be able to get back out there, but more than likely uh, he is uh, probably going to finish out this year, and then we'll see where he goes from there. The group of walk-ons at the position, Grady Sherrill, Brooks Miller, Michael Hall, Aiden Klonginger, uh, Cyrus Rogers, Landon Stevens, and Thomas Flynn. So plenty of walk-ons at the position if needed. And some guys that uh, when, they've, when they've gotten the opportunity in spring games and even some of the guys in some of these blowout games, uh, they have made some plays. The thing I love about our walk-ons is all the guys that are walk-ons, they have walk-on names. Like Brooks Miller sounds like a walk-on. Landon Stevens. Sounds like a hey, walk-on. Hey, watch it. Thomas who did, who did the, Can you tell me who Landon Stevens played with in high school? You know where he went to high school? Uh, Was he with Jefferson Boaz? That would be Jefferson Boaz, number number two receiver. Steven Gosnell was his number one guy. But so, yep, yep. you know, that's the thing I that, that I like about our walk-ons is, like, you got dudes that they sound like walk-on players. And they essentially didn't let me talk about all the young guys coming in. Okay, if you go ahead, you know I would love I'd love for Carolina to do what they didn't do last year, um, which is blow some people out. That's why I kind of predicted the uh, the kind of into the year that Carolina was having because I told you guys during the middle of the year like you can't beat bad teams in blowout fashion. It's going to bite you in the butt. But I like to see Carolina take care of some of these opponents. So you can see those dudes on the field in some capacity because that right there, like, like, like that's your future. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 they're your future guys, and you, you know, it, there's, there's no, and like, with, with the way you can play four games still redshirt, it's a great rule. It's been very beneficial to, to our program and virtually every program across the country. There's no, there's no way to, to, to really undervalue like, like those reps, even if they're against third stringers, those things mean a lot to these young kids. So. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see Carolina, especially if, if, even if even if it's with Connor Harrell, who's going to be the quarterback next year. I'd like to see Carolina 
blow some of these opponents out that they can and get those guys on the field. That way, you know, whenever their time is, when their roles increase next year, we have a much better feel of what they can and can't do. Well, the problem is, is how many opponents actually are on this schedule that Carolina can really do that to. Maybe. Maybe App State, but we know the struggles Carolina's yeah. had to put them away. I mean, I mean, App State, you should blow out. Campbell is the is the Campbell, number one. That's that out. one you should have no problem with. Um, but outside of that, I mean, most of them are conference games, and even some of the conference games that you would say, "Oh, Carolina should have no problem with some of those teams." I mean, we've seen them have issues with some of these teams in the past. I mean, Syracuse, like, I don't know. That's not a team. I mean, you look at the way they started last year. I don't think they're going to be terrible this year. Maybe Virginia. Yes. No. Look, if Carolina but, doesn't blow out Virginia, but I'll, we know we know how Carolina's always played against them. And then look, here's I'm the a, thing. I'm going to have an aneurysm. I'm not even. I'm not believing anything. If they beat Georgia Tech, I'd be happy. <laughs> That's the point that we're at. So I'm. I'm. I agree with you. I think a lot of the guys that we just talked about will probably be more special teamers this year. That's probably where you'll see a lot of them get run. But I would like to see some of those guys. And I'm telling you, do not sleep on Christian Christian Hamilton, the way he played in the spring. If there's an opportunity there, especially in the slot where there could be, if there is an injury that happens or two, he could be the guy that steps up there, so keep an eye on him. But, yeah, love love the future of this room, not to mention the guys that Carolina is bringing in in the 24 class. They just keep rolling, man. And and a guy that deserves a lot of credit. I mentioned Larry Porter on the last edition of the podcast, the great job that he's doing. The best, I, I think, the best coach on this staff, offense, defense, special teams, is Lonnie Galloway. The way he's developed that wide receiving core. I mean, you see the guys that just keep rolling in and rolling out, and they he keeps consistently putting guys in the NFL. This dude is doing a tremendous job. He deserves to be the passing game coordinator. He got that title in the offseason. I think this room will be in good shape. Let's move to another room that I feel like is in really good shape. Now, they did lose their coach, the tight end room. John Lilly moves on. He's now coaching actually right down the block from where we're recording here over on Minton Moorhead with the Carolina Panthers. So what does Carolina do? They go get a guy that has NFL experience that was a part of South Carolina's staff a year ago as an analyst, Freddie Kitchens. Um, he comes in, and he'll take over a room that has about as much depth as Carolina has had at this position in a long, long time, at least in terms of competitive depth. Uh, it's the three guys from last year. Bryson Nesbitt's going to be your main guy. 35 catches, 507 yards, four touchdowns, all those numbers. The most since a guy named Eric Ebron. Not too bad. Kamari Morales continuing his steady career. 29 catches, 359 yards, four touchdowns. And, of course, my favorite stat, he has 10 career touchdowns. That is the most ever. For a Toriel tight end. Seems problematic. Which is amazing. Look, they are, there have been a lot of guys that have rolled through campus that had a lot of success in the NFL, looking at you, Algie Crumpler, who weren't nearly as productive at the college level. Now, part of that, much different game, tight ends much more involved, uh, but... You know, I, I still can't believe that that's more than Eric Ebron. That's what's really shocking to mm-hmm. me. Um, then you got John Copenhaver, 15 catches, two, 222 yards and zero touchdowns. Much like uh, Kobe Pesor, whenever he touched the football, 
He made big plays. That was all he did. And they were all they always felt like timely. I, yes, hundred like percent. May, maybe I'm wrong. Was I think it was App State or Georgia State where it felt like Georgia, Georgia State. He had the big one. Yeah, yep. where, where, where it felt like you know we needed to make a play. Carolina goes to to him. He makes the play, and it's gonna be interesting to see what Freddie Kitchens does with this 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 position group. Because it feels like you can throw the kitchen sink at them and they can respond. Because you see got, that one was pretty good. I like that good. one. I like it. Tight ends that can a you can, they can catch the damn ball. Um, they 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 can pass block. They can run block, and they all just do something a little bit different. And that's why like that's why I got so irritated with Phil Longa Uh-oh. was because uh, like no. I, I looked at the room and I was like, dude, there's there's talent here and there's versatility here and. Don't get yourself too you, worked you, up. The you know, last the, edition, you called yourself a balding fat ass, by yeah. the way. <laughs> it was like, a little harsh on yourself. When I was going back listening, I couldn't believe it. You know, there's there, there's a lot of different things that, that they can do. And so I want to see them all utilized. You know, Deems May was on WFNZ, you know, earlier uh, this week and talked about how— And he'll be on this podcast very soon. You know, how, how they, they can all do something different and— you know he's right. I mean, Bryson Nesbitt is going to be a NFL caliber player. He's going to be in the NFL one day. Oh yeah. With the way the NFL values what what he can do, Kamari Morales is a great red zone target. Knows how to you know create a wide target. Is also a good blocker. And then and then Copenhaver, because he has to do all the little things, he does it, and they never get talked about. But that guy isn't afraid to. to he ain't afraid to run block. He ain't afraid to pass block. Best blocker on the team, I think, of the three. And, and you know, whenever you whenever you need a play, it's just like you know, yep, Copenhaver's there, and he's gonna be ready to make it. So, I mean, I'm not even I'm not even asking, I'm, I'm not even begging. Uh oh. At this point, I'm demanding. Mm. Get the room involved. Get. But I, they but they have. I I, I want to see keep two, the room involved. I want to see two tight end sets. I want to see three tight end sets. Whether that means, and even that means, if we line up in it, and you know, Sparky Woods, his analytics tell you we're going to run the ball ninety three percent of the time. I don't care. Put these guys on the field because I feel like Carolina is better when these guys are involved in the offense, whether they're they're catching, blocking, or what have you. So, really interested to see uh, what 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 uh, Freddie Kitchens does with this group because this is a reclamation project for him. You're talking about a guy that was a hot offensive coordinator in the NFL, gets a head coaching job, you know, is 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 an embarrassment, you know, in, in terms of Cleveland Brown head coaches, and that's saying something for for the history of their head coaches. And yet he still is not the worst. You know, since they come came on back down, as a franchise, Hugh Jackson, and, and you know, he's so bad that he gets a job as an analyst. Nobody wants to give him a, a job as a coordinator or something like that. This is a big year for him, and with all the talent in the room, I think he's going to be hard. Pre- I think he's going to be motivated to to do a good job. And you know, if if you get more production from this room, I think you could see a situation where Carolina's offense does take the next step under Drake May. Well, I mean, look, it's pretty hard to ask for a lot more production. I mean, they're going to be. I mean, they were right around a thousand yards last year. You would imagine that if Bryson Nesbitt does not get hurt towards the end of the season and miss a couple of games and, and he was even slowed after that, that they probably end up eclipsing that 1,000-yard mark. I think they could do that again this year because I think Drake May kind of forced the issue in terms of involving them. He he made the plays to get them involved. 
where I'm not saying that Sam didn't. Now, the thing is uh, it, that was interesting was in, when he was in high school, Sam had a really, really good tight end that he involved a lot. So I don't know if that was something that Phil Longo said, look, we've got the receivers here, we need to utilize them more, or what happened. But Drake made sure that his tight ends were involved last year. And look, when you got a guy like Bryson Nesbitt, you're right, he is definitely going to be an NFL tight end. There's a lot of NFL draft people who have him as a top five tight end prospect for this upcoming year's draft. So he's another guy. We're talking about Drake leaving after this season. Bryson Nesbitt may be joining him. Uh, He's become a more complete blocker. I feel like this guy is probably, I mean, he's probably the second or third most important weapon for the Tar Heels in this offense. They are going to find him early and often in the year, but you do have the other two guys, and as you mentioned, Morales. The thing for Morales, you just wish that he could finish the seasons the way that he starts the year. He's always so effective early in the first half of the season, in the red zone, scoring those touchdowns, but then it it he sort of runs out of steam almost as the year goes along, or maybe it's the quarterbacks not getting him nearly uh, as involved later in the year as they do early. Uh, and then Copenhaver, I, I mean, I, like you said, does all the little things. You love a guy that just makes the most of when his opportunities are there. And I think, you know, as a whole, this group can really block. I think they've done a tremendous job. Um, you know, I, I think the offensive line is where you focus a little bit more for the struggles in run blocking, but you're hoping they can take another step this year as well. Uh, The other guy in the room that is on scholarship, true freshman Julian Randolph. He joins the team for fall camp, Uh, so we'll see how he fits into that room. And then the other guy that is not on scholarship, a legacy guy, and a guy that is the son of a man we just talked about, Deems May III. He converted from defensive end. He is now playing tight end for the team, and that is big. The Tar did lose. Uh, a uh, a guy that played a pretty significant role for them in the spring game with the second and third teams and Jake Young. Uh, he was a guy that came in as a preferred walk-on last year, uh, clearly felt that he did enough and entered the transfer portal and has since transferred and moved on. So good for Jake, but that gives an opportunity to Deems May, the third on that side of the ball. All right, there we go. All right, so we'll close down this edition of the podcast talking about a guy that could soon be joining that Tar Heel wide receiving core that we talked about a little bit earlier later on this week, actually tomorrow afternoon to be exact, and that is Alex Taylor, the four-star wide receiver, according to 24-7 Sports Composite Player Rankings, uh, out of Grimsley High School in North Carolina extremely talented player and a guy that, you know, for a while, I don't know if a lot of Toriel fans were very confident that they would end up landing his commitment. You know, Clemson was in the driver's seat for him. And I think most people had kind of come to the conclusion that it was probably going to be Clemson. Well, then you have, you know, the sort of momentary reset when everything goes down. Many may remember that, you have Braylon Staley hop on and talk to Phil Kornblut, who covers recruiting down in the state of South Carolina. And he says that, look, Clemson is filled at wide receiver. That's what they've told me. 
And that was really where we saw things change with Alex Taylor. Well, then there's some rumors that come out a little bit later on that Alex Taylor was the guy that they were holding the spot for. And so then there's another round of people being a little concerned of, hey, is this actually true? Is Clemson, you know, have have they told Alex Taylor, look, you're you're our guy. This we saved the spot for you. And and could this really be, you know, where he ends up? Now Carolina, you know, they they still got the final visit with him. Clemson, you know, they got the first visit with him. NC State. Uh, and uh, as well as Virginia Tech and Penn State in between. But this is really down to Carolina and Clemson. And look, I I think going in, you know, this is a four-star guy. I'm really shocked as we sit here uh, just under 24 hours at the time of recording this, about 23 hours away from his commitment, that there aren't more predictions that are in. Uh, Rivals, they currently have none that that, that have been cast at this time. But there are two crystal ball or, or project predictions that are cast across the three, the other two major websites. You've got one in favor of Carolina on 24-7 sports. That's Michael Clark, who put that in earlier this week. Uh, that's a, an NC State writer. So uh, a guy that, you know, clearly was around him en- enough when he was on his visit to sort of get a feel of where things were. And the bigger one is... When you head over to On Three Sports, their director of recruiting, Chad Simmons, he has Carolina as the pick. Uh, he does have the confidence level at a sixty. They, you know, go on a scale of you know ten to a uh, hundred, and so Carolina, this pretty solid. Um, but you're not seeing a lot outside of that. So I don't know. I think you're cautiously optimistic going into this one if you're a Tar Heel fan. Um, I, I think ultimately in the end, Carolina probably comes away with his commitment. I, I, I do think that, you know, maybe Clemson ha- has told him, you know, we're still we're still recruiting you, but I don't think they really promised him that, hey, you are the guy. Because if if they did, I really do feel like we would have a stronger lean in favor of Clemson. Probably at this point, we would know that that was ultimately where he was going to go. So I think the fact that we're not hearing that, Plays very well into the Tar Heels' hands. I think they did everything that they had to do late on uh, in this recruitment. I think they nailed the official visit at the end of the month of June. And he's established some good relationships with a lot of the other guys that are committed in this class at wide receiver. So I think Carolina gets it done. And regardless, me and Zach Hubbard will have a breakdown for you tomorrow night after his commitment here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Well, guys, head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Check out all the stuff that we got up there. Uh, we got stuff about all of the uh, – we have articles up on the website about, uh, you know, the wide receivers, tight ends. We have those, as I mentioned, separated into wide receivers and tight ends specifically as we go even more in-depth than we did here on the podcast. So make sure you guys go over to the website and check that out. Also, article up on the website for you guys previewing the commitment of Alex Taylor. I'll go even more in-depth on that one. That'll be up sometime tomorrow to sort of set the stage for it. It'll also give us a little bit more time to see if there are some other predictions that roll in that will sort of strengthen the confidence that Carolina can land him. And then uh, after he makes his decision, we'll have an article up on the website which that'll tell you what happened and what it means for the Tar Heels. If they land him, 
you know, we'll break them down. If not, we'll look ahead because there are two other big-time targets that the Tar Heels still have on the board in this class. Four-star athlete Jonathan Paylor, who a lot of people think will play wide receiver, as well as Javarius Green, who Carolina has been after for a while. So uh, we will tell you how uh, that the, what happens tomorrow affects the Tar Heels' pursuit of wide receivers as they get ready to pretty much close down their 2024 recruiting class. Meanwhile, the basketball side of things, things a little bit silent right now. Make sure you guys go back and check out those Hubert Davis press conference takeaways uh, from a little over a week ago now. Hubert sat down for the first time this summer and talked with the media, and he gave some great updates on where things are at with this Tar Heel team, went in-depth on some of the transfers that Carolina is getting. So uh, make sure that you guys go back and check that out. And before you know it, basketball season will be here, and Josh will once again be taking you through another year on the hardwood for the Tar Heels. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.